0: Our exalted experts want to hold us prisoner to coronavirus for another 18 months while prosecutors dish out felony charges to formerly free Americans who have the goal to go outside for a walk. We will examine the junk science behind the most outrageous political power grab of our lifetime. Then China infiltrates a White House press briefing, President Trump threatens to cut funding to the World Health Organization, and Joe Biden steps up and addresses the nation about his weakness for Fig Newtons. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is the Michael Knowles Show. They want to keep us locked up forever. That's it. Initially, it was 15 days to stop the spread. Then it was going to be another two weeks after that. So, what? uh, No, I'm sorry, another 30 days after that. So, it's going to be 45 days total. Now they're saying maybe another month. Now they're saying maybe another month. And Zeke Emanuel. Ari Emanuel's brother, Rahm Emanuel's brother, one of the architects of Obamacare says that we could be locked up for another 18 months while we wait for a vaccine for the coronavirus. You know, even the rosy numbers coming out of the White House, we hear from Larry Kudlow. He's saying it could be another four to eight weeks. Very different than 15 days, 45 plus eight weeks. That's a lot of time, but that's the rosiest number. Now we're hearing it could be as much as 18 months. Here is that Obamacare architect telling us why we've got to all hunker down for a year and a half. Realistically, COVID-19 will be here for the next 18 months or more. We will not be able to return to normalcy until we find a vaccine or effective
1: medications. I know that's dreadful news to hear. How are people
0: supposed to find work if this goes on in some form for a year and a half. Is all that economic pain worth trying to stop COVID-19? The truth is, we have no choice. If we prematurely end that physical distancing and the other measures keeping it at bay, deaths could skyrocket into the hundreds of thousands, if not a million. We cannot return to normal until there's a vaccine. Conferences, concerts, sporting events, religious services,
1: dinner in a restaurant, None of that will resume until we find a vaccine, a treatment,
0: or a cure. Oh, oh, is that so, Dr. Emanuel? Well, all right, then, in that case, uh, respectfully, how about you go stuff it, guy? All right, stop, stop it. Stop telling us, based on faulty models, that we can't do anything that we want to do, and we've got to listen to you and do exactly what you say. If these guys had been right from the beginning then they would have a lot of credibility now. All right. I'm not saying that we have to be against quarantines per se. I'm not saying that we can't suffer economic hardship if there's an epidemic. The trouble is these guys have been wrong from the very beginning. Okay. And we cannot be shut down and locked up inside of our apartments under threat of prosecution for 18 months just can't happen. Why? For four reasons, as far as I can see it. First of all, we cannot afford it. We were locked down for what, two or three weeks. And in order to deal with that, the Congress had to pass the largest stimulus measure ever. We needed to come up with $6 trillion in relief. $2 trillion passed by Congress, another $4 trillion levered up by the Fed just to get us through a few weeks. How much money are we going to need to spend for 18 months? We could probably buy the Green New Deal two or three times if we were to get through all of that, which of course we cannot because that's not how economies work. And we'll have a little more on that later on. Second reason that won't work, the models have been wrong. And this point, I cannot harp on it enough. We were told time and time again, two million Americans are going to die right? Or more than 2 million Americans maybe from coronavirus. We were told even if we follow all the great measures and the social distancing and wear the masks, we're still looking at what, half a million? Few hundred thousand at least, if not half a million, if not a million. Those were the more modest estimates. How does that compare with reality? Right now at what we're being told is the peak of the virus, More Americans died from swine flu under Barack Obama than have died so far from the coronavirus. Now, look, that number is going to change where if, even if we are peaking and we're on the downside of the slope, that's still a lot more misery to go through. But right now, today at the peak, more people died from swine 09 than have died so far from COVID-19. So let's say the number right now is about 12, 13,000. Let's say the number gets up to 30,000 or 40,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 even. Those are numbers that are similar to the number of deaths we see each year from drug overdoses. And who knows how the drug overdose deaths are gonna be affected by this. When there's economic collapse, guess what goes right through the roof? Drug overdose deaths and suicides. So the the very people who sold us the bogus models are the ones telling us that we now need to remain locked up for a year and a half. Why else can't we handle this? Two very important reasons. The last one is the one that nobody's talking about. We'll get to that in a second. First, I have got to thank our advertisers. You know, right now, little economic difficulty going on. And I know that a lot of people are having trouble in their businesses. That includes our advertisers. So I want to thank so much the advertising partners who are sticking around and, and not panicking in the economic turmoil. It, it really helps us so much. We really, really appreciate it. You know, we also appreciate it when our listeners go out and help those sponsors who keep us on the air. And one of my absolute favorite sponsors ever is Paint Your Life. You know, one thing I've been doing now that I've been at home a little bit more is I've taken up painting. Turns out painting is much more difficult than it looks. (laughs) Turns out I'm not a world-class artist, perhaps. Not yet, at least. But you know who are? The painters at Paint Your Life. And right now, you can get a wonderful painting made from, you upload a photograph, you get a world-class artist to paint it for you. I got a beautiful oil painting. Uh, You can get that right now through Paint Your Life. And don't forget, Mother's Day is coming up. If you're looking for a way to feel connected to loved ones when you can't be near, then you've got to try paintyourlife.com. This service is so unbelievable. I got one for my stepbrother for his wedding. That it's just absolutely gorgeous. I've recommended this to all of my friends. And now that I'm trying to be an amateur painter, I have even more respect for their wonderful artists. Paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. You're working them the whole with them the whole time. Uh, That's guaranteed. Right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. 20% off. And free shipping, text the word Michael, M I C H A E L, to 64,000. That is Michael to 64,000. Text Michael to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. All right. So, first two reasons that we can't remain locked down for 18 months, we cannot afford it, and the models have been totally wrong. Third reason is, We have medicines and treatments for coronavirus. Zeke Emanuel said, we can't reopen until we have medicine and treatment for coronavirus. Uh, I think we do. We have multiple medicines that are in the works, probably most notably hydroxychloroquine, which the left, by the way, is still trying to cover up. We'll get to that in just a little bit because the New York Times is behaving even more egregiously than usual when it comes to this drug that has shown great promise at treating coronavirus. Do we have a vaccine yet? No, but a vaccine could take 18 months. And until we have a vaccine, we have a drug that has been shown time and time again. So many doctors, we've played a number of them on this show, who say that that drug is working. So we check that box, and yet this expert still wants to drag it on 18 months. The fourth and final and most important reason that we cannot lock down for 18 months more is that. This is the most insane political power grab that we have seen in our lifetimes. Ever. Okay, you want a, you want a great example of this? I read this story yesterday out of Cincinnati. Uh, Hamilton County prosecutor Joe Dieters is now not only ordering people to stay at home, he's now saying that if you go out, go for a walk, violate your stay at home order, you will be arrested, you will be charged with a felony you can quote, sit your butt in jail. You can sit there and kill yourself. I don't care, but you're not going to kill my kids and you're not going to kill my neighbor's kids. I'm done with this nonsense. So we'll see what happens. This lunatic, who by the way is wrong on the facts because the coronavirus has not been shown to infect children just about anywhere. So the, the safest people from coronavirus are children complete demagoguery on his part. But what he is saying is that if you, a free American have the gall, the audacity to walk outside, you will be arrested, charged with a felony. You can sit in jail and kill yourself. Yeah, you can go sit in jail and kill yourself because otherwise you might kill people. Otherwise people might die. At the same time as government officials around the country are releasing violent criminals. In New York and in a jail, they released child rapists because they didn't want the jails to be overcrowded. This schmuck is arresting people, charging them with felonies, throwing them in jails for going for a walk. He says, I told the chief to charge him with felonious assault. I don't care. This is going to stop. I'm telling you, at least now the guy is going to stop. Now he got even more specific because you think, okay, well maybe people don't need to go to bars or clubs or things like that, not that they're open. but. Surely there's got to be some exception, right? There's got to be some exception for, say, if you go to church, right? No, actually. Uh, Joe Dieters says If I was the governor, I would tell these churches the first attendees at your church is going to be the National Guard because we are stopping this right now, okay? We're stopping it. No one is asking you not to pray to God. No one is asking you not to pray to Allah. No one is asking you not to pray. It can be done remotely, it's not a problem. But if it applies to these kids and over the Rhine, it should apply to those churches too. And they need to just stop it. So first of all, just on a theological point, he's wrong. Okay, for certain denominations and certain religious groups, you can just do it at home. It doesn't matter if you go to church. For churches that recognize the sacraments, most notably the Catholic church, but Protestant denominations too, you do have to go to church. You can't just do it from home forever it does matter that you're in person. So a very ignorant statement. And not only is it ignorant of the religion, it's ignorant of our tradition of religious liberty and liberty generally in the United States. This lunatic has gotten drunk with power. Here are some examples. He, uh, the pol- he had the police arrest Rashan Davis, uh, this guy who decided to walk outside. Had the police just arrest him, charge him, with a felony. He's, it's, it's not just big talk with this guy, Joe Dieters. It's, it's actually happening now too. And you know what's too, I looked up this guy, Joe Dieters. He's actually had a pretty good career. He's got mostly conservative political positions. He's been around a long time, right? It's not as though he's some deranged left winger. What's so scary about this power grab is that it's corrupting even conservatives, even right wingers. It's corrupting people in government because they are stealing absurd, unprecedented power in many cases. And something tells me they're not going to want to give it back quite so easily. The point is, this shutdown is not without consequence. Okay. There are many hidden costs to the quarantine, not just to our economy, but to our government, not just to our government, but our way of life, to our politics, and not the least of all, to lives. There are consequences to lives of the quarantine. People will die because some demagogues and experts and politicians are trying to save people. Andy Cuomo in New York, he said, if everything we do saves just one life, it will have been worth it. Let's take a look at just one effect of this alarmism and this quarantine and this hysteria to see if it's worth it. This story takes place in Illinois. There is a man living with his girlfriend. Uh, The man is paranoid. He's afraid that his girlfriend has the coronavirus. So she goes, she gets tested for the coronavirus. She comes back. Before they get the test results, the man kills his girlfriend and kills himself. This is according to the sheriff's office in Will County, Illinois. Murder-suicide because he was so afraid of getting the coronavirus. What are the circumstances of this? Was he afraid that she would give it to him? Was he afraid that they would both have it and die in misery? Was he completely ignorant of the statistics and the reality of this virus, maybe because it was so hyped up by demagogues in the media and in politics? Yeah, I don't know. All I know is we got two bodies now lying on the ground because of the alarmism. So look. I don't do this kind of utilitarian math, but Andy Cuomo apparently does. So you got the one life that you've saved from the coronavirus. Now you got two body bags from the alarmism. How do you do that calculation? How do you make that? If we save one life, it was all worth it. Was it worth it? Does Andrew Cuomo still think that it was worth it? This is not just a one random case in Illinois, or I suppose it is a random case. It's not just a standalone though, because we know when there are economic downturns, suicide goes up. We know, as we said earlier, drug abuse goes up. We know that people die in these situations. So was it worth it? By the way, we don't even really know how many people have died from the virus. Even the official count, we don't know. We'll get to why that is in a second because Dr. Burks at the White House just confirmed that for us yesterday. First, I've got to thank our friends over at Quip. You know, when you're stuck at home, It's very easy to let certain basic habits, like oral hygiene, fall by the wayside. That is exactly why you need to go get a great toothbrush and stick to your healthy habits. Okay, I have sworn by an electric toothbrush for years. You should too. Good habits mean brushing for two minutes, twice a day, flossing regularly, no matter what brand you use. Quip makes that simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. The Flip Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just exactly enough. Plus, Quip delivers fresh brush head floss and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping, so you don't forget your routine is always right. Join the 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today, starting at 25 bucks. If you go to getquip.com slash Michael right now, you'll get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash Michael. That is spelled getqui pcom slash M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Quip, the good habits company. So even if we were going to try to do this Andy Cuomo kind of math where you save one life and it's all worth it. But what about if you lose one life on the other side? Even if we were going to do that, we don't know how many people have died from the coronavirus. That's according to Dr. Burke's yesterday at the White House. We know that now because she told us that deaths from coronavirus are being recorded, in her words, in the most liberal way possible. So in other words, if anybody dies with the coronavirus, then they are going to be recorded as dying from the coronavirus.
2: So I think in this country, we've taken a very liberal approach to mortality, and I think the reporting here has been pretty straightforward over the last five to six weeks. Prior to that, when there wasn't testing in d- January and February, that's a very different situation um, and unknown. There are other countries that if you had a pre-existing condition – and let's say the virus caused you to go to the ICU and then have a heart or kidney problem. Some countries are recording that as a heart issue or a kidney issue and not a COVID-19 death. Um, right now, we're still recording it and we'll, I mean the great thing about having forms that come in and a form that has the ability to market as COVID-19 infection the intent is right now that those if someone dies with COVID-19 we are counting that as a COVID-19 death. All
0: right, this makes a huge difference. It might not seem like it does because you say well look I'm sure the the COVID-19 didn't help the condition sure but it makes a huge difference. According to the New York City data of New Yorkers who have died from coronavirus had at least one pre-existing condition. And these pre-existing conditions usually are pretty serious. Specifically, we're talking about diabetes, lung disease, cancer, immunodeficiency, heart disease, hypertension, asthma, kidney disease, and GI liver disease. They had at least one of them. Now 65, or 65.5%, that's pretty high. Another 32.6% of New Yorkers who have died still have pre-existing conditions pending. We don't know whether or not they had pre-existing conditions. Do you know how many people who died of COVID-19 in New York were confirmed not to have pre-existing conditions? 1.9%. Just 1.9%. As of yesterday, that's 46 people. Look, that's still scary. If 46 people who are otherwise healthy drop dead because of a pandemic that was started in China that came here and took us all by surprise, that's a scary number. But it's a very different number than if thousands of people in New York are dying from that, right? This is not to say that some lives are more valuable than others. This is not to say that we should throw the old and the frail off a cliff. What this tells us though is how virulent the disease is. And if The virulence of the disease matches what we're being told in the media. If somebody with stage four pancreatic cancer, who does not have a good prognosis, who's got weeks, maybe a month or two to live, contracts coronavirus and dies in the hospital, do we really believe that that death is caused primarily by the coronavirus? No, of course, nobody does. But because of the liberal way, to use Dr. Birx's terms, that the deaths are being recorded, we will not know those numbers. So it will, if anything, inflate the numbers and it could inflate the numbers of coronavirus deaths pretty significantly. Why are they doing it? Why record the deaths this way? We saw this kind of recording in Italy. We haven't seen it in a lot of other places. This method of recording the data gives a lot of cover to politicians, gives a lot of cover to alarmists who have shut down the global economy because 2 million Americans are going to die. And then now it looks pretty clear that 2 million Americans are not going to die. 1 million Americans are not going to die. The number could be significantly lower. Now, order of magnitude lower or even more so. This method of recording seems to have a lot more to do with politics than it does with medical science. It seems to me that the more good news we get about this pandemic, the more the media wants to shut that up the more hysterical the media wants to become, the more alarmist the media want to be to try to prove that they were right all along. Best example of this is the medicine that has been treating coronavirus. There are lots of different medicines out there that might be useful for coronavirus. are a lot being tested right now. But the one that all come, always comes to mind is hydroxychloroquine. That is the drug that was touted... By medical doctors, by initially some in the media, by Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York, and by President Trump. Hydroxychloroquine has just been shown to be very effective. And the reason it's so helpful is because it's already been approved by the FDA for malaria. It's a drug that we have a lot of, it's cheap, we can produce quickly, and we know that it doesn't kill you because it's it's been safe to use for other diseases, like malaria, like lupus, others as well. So the New York Times is furious about this. Because how are they going to raise the alarm bells? How is this going to be this massive, unprecedented, endless pandemic if we've got a medicine for it? So the New York Times is taking every shot they can. You know they've been going after him for hydroxychloroquine now for weeks. They've been trying to get him to shut up about this drug. So the headline yesterday, you have four uh, New York Times reporters on this. Peter Baker, Katie Rogers, David Enrich, and Maggie Haberman. Maggie Haperman, Hillary Clinton's favorite journalist. Headline is, Trump's aggressive advocacy of malaria drug for treating coronavirus divides medical community. Divides them, huh? Well, I think the doctors who want to help their patients don't seem divided on it. They seem to be prescribing the drug. I don't know. Maybe they count themselves in the New York Times as part of the medical community. Maybe they, they count narrative doctors or doctors of narrative medicine, like the person who wrote in the New York Times yesterday. Maybe that's That's who's divided on this. But the real doctors don't seem divided. So the the article doesn't even spend too much time on the efficacy of the drug. The real political hit job in this essay is trying to suggest that President Trump has corrupt motives for promoting the drug. So they say some associates of Mr. Trump's have financial interests in the issue. Sanofi's largest shareholders include Fisher Asset Management, the investment company run by Ken Fisher, a major donor to Republicans, including Mr. Trump, a spokesman for Mr. Fisher declined to comment. So what's notable here is they've they've tried to tie hydroxychloroquine to to Donald Trump, but they can't do it very well. So they say, you know, he's got a little bit of a stake in a company that has a stake in a company that has a stake in a company in hydroxychloroquine. So they realize their their better attack is going to be to go after Trump's friends. So if, Trump's friends have any investment in a company that invests in a company that invests in a company that ever once invested in hydroxychloroquine, then they're going to say this is corruption. As of last year, Mr. Trump reported that his three family trusts each had investments in a Dodge and Cox mutual fund whose largest holding was in Sanofi. Sanofi is this company that I guess produces hydroxychloroquine, except Ashley Koss, a Sanofi spokeswoman, said that the company no longer sells or distributes Plaquenil, which is the brand name of hydroxychloroquine, in the United States, although it does not sell it internationally. So, or although it does sell it internationally. So they're saying, okay, so Trump has some investment in a mutual fund that invests in this company, Sanofi, which used to distribute a drug called Plaquenil, which is the brand name of hydroxychloroquine in the United States, but they don't distribute it anymore. So basically, it's total corruption, and he's just trying to fill his pockets. Then, they go on, they say, several generic drug makers are gearing up to produce hydroxychloroquine pills, including Amniel Pharmaceutics, whose co-founder, Shirag Patel, is a member of Trump National Golf Course, Bedminster in New Jersey, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So they can't really, I mean, look, anybody who has a 401K invests in some company that invests in some company that maybe has some drug, you don't even know what's in your portfolio. So they know that that's not gonna stick on Trump. So now they're saying that there are other companies that are working on this drug, which by the way, undercuts their first argument, because the first argument is Trump's cornering the market, right? He's gonna fill his pockets with this drug. If other companies are producing it, then he's not filling his pockets. But the other companies are producing it and they're saying this is corrupt because one of the companies that's working on it has an investment by a company, by an investor, by a fund. And one of the people who invests in this is a member of one of the Trump golf clubs. If that, if that is the best they've got, They need to just shut down the New York Times right now. Look at all these words. Look at all the, look how long this article is. Oh my gosh, it's so long to tell you that bombshell that a member of one of Trump's golf clubs has an investment in a fund that invests in a company that isn't right now producing all the hydroxychloroquine, but maybe, maybe will eventually. (sighs) And then I looked, This this was even more fun. I looked to see how much money Trump had invested because this thing was blowing up. Joe Scarborough tweeted about it. Seth Abramson at Newsweek tweeted about it. Kyle Griffin, MSNBC uh, news producer tweeted out this New York Times article. Aaron Rupar from Fox.com, serious investigative journalist. They're all tweeting about it. By the way, even George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, who is a major Trump critic, even he admitted this was pretty weak, but you had all the hacks were tweeting about it. So I looked, I wanted to see how much money Trump had invested in hydroxychloroquine. Take a guess, Donald Trump, billionaire, very wealthy man, how much money do you think he invested in hydroxychloroquine if you look at the percentage of his investment in the fund and the fund and the company and the drug? So Trump's investment in the company that produces hydroxychloroquine, or that doesn't currently in the United States, but used to, is at most $1,350 dollars. That's how he's getting rich. That's it. He's using a pandemic to promote a company that used to promote this drug, that used to produce this drug that's gonna be used so that he can turn his $1,350 investment into a $2,000 investment? It gets better than that. Because that, we don't know exactly how much of the company he could own. That's the highest amount. At the lower end, the investment could be worth as little as $90. He's going to, that's it. He's going to use a global pandemic to bring his $90 investment up to $120. He's going to make a cool 30 bucks and then he's going to treat everybody to ice cream afterwards at the White House. (laughs) It's so, so pathetic. So that attack failed spectacularly from the New York Times. So when that failed, the press decided to attack him for possible negative health consequences from the medicine. And Trump did something very wise here. He didn't just go after the media on the facts. He went after the media on the narrative. And that's the thing we're all going to have to do if we don't want to keep ourselves locked up for the next 18 months. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. First, I have got to thank all of you, all of you Daily Wire members and All Access members. You know, if you haven't checked out the All Access live show over at dailywire.com, you're missing out. This is the new members only program where I, Ben, Jeremy, Drew, Matt Walsh, where we all sit down on different nights and we just kind of hang out. Turn the camera on, it's not even really a show. I think of it as just uh, hanging out. It's like a conference call or a happy hour. I consider it a happy hour because often I'm drinking during those shows. So uh, definitely go check it out. Uh, It's uh, very fun. And initially this was just for our All Access Live members or our All Access members. Now we're opening it up to all of our members during quarantine, which is probably gonna bankrupt us if this quarantine goes on 18 months. So it's going live at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern at dailywire.com. Uh, Check it out. Head on over to dailywire.com. If you're not a member already, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. We'll be right back with a lot more. So when the media can't nail Trump for the corruption of investing $90 in hydroxychloroquine, they are going after the health effects of hydroxychloroquine itself. So at at Trump's daily press briefing, where he's his own press secretary, they asked him about this yesterday, about about the side effects, about how we, we shouldn't be so quick to administer this drug to dying patients. Here is the reporter.
2: With millions of pills of hydroxychloroquine donated, is there a plan or system in place to track the the potential
1: yeah. side effects well, you saw the representative. serious
2: harm. So is look, there a plan look, to track plan? The, side they, the, the side effects of the
0: side effects. the effects side the least of it yet people dying all over the place So you know that the place. So you to that this be some unfair questioning going to gets the question out hey are you the tracking the side effects of the side and then President of starts to answer and she keeps interrupting to and the side effects and the side effects and there are the side effects. And side are going side effects because they're so side they Because they so crestfallen that the upset. they the so is working the they're so upset that people are getting better because then it can't be Trump's fault and Trump can't be responsible for killing a million people. Drats. Ah, they were sure they were going to get him this time. The Russia thing didn't work and the taxes didn't work and the Ukraine thing. Remember that? They impeached him over Ukraine in a phone call. That didn't work. But they're going to get him. He's going to kill a million people. Then we'll really get him. Drats foiled again because he's promoting a drug that's working. So now they have all they've got left is they say, so what about the side effects? And President Trump gives what I think is the perfect answer to it. He, he gives the answer not merely in scientific and medical terms, but in narrative terms.
1: A woman last night, I watched her on one of the shows, good show, Laura, and she was, uh, she thought she was dead. She was a representative from Michigan. She was... Uh, in horrible shape for 12 days, 14 days. She thought she was dead. I think she said that her doctor said she's, you know, it's going to be very tough. She saw me talking about this, and she asked her husband to go to the drugstore. Now, this is a Democrat representative, a person that, you know, perhaps wouldn't be voting for me. Uh, I think she'll be voting for me now. Even if she's a Democrat, even if she's a Democrat representative, he gave it to her. Now, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't say it works like this at all. Four hours later, she awoke and she said, I feel better. And then shortly thereafter, she felt great. This is a woman that thought she was going to die. Her manner of speaking, her, the way she told the story was beautiful. I asked my husband to go and get it. He got it. She is now
0: okay. So he goes on, but I I think you get the point. President Trump is flipping the left's narrative on them. The the left's narrative this whole time, from Andy Cuomo to Zeke Emanuel to the experts, to the media, to the politicians. If you oppose them, you want people to die. That's what they're saying. If If you even so much as question what they're doing, you want people to die. If you oppose shutting down the global economy, you want people to die. If you oppose arresting people for leaving their homes, you want people to die. Now they've gone even further. They say if you support giving people access to the medicine that'll save their lives, you want people to die because of hypothetical side effects or something that don't even exist. I was, and, or New York Times, right, just yesterday was talking about how if you support giving people this medicine, you want other people to die because... There is a hypothetical shortage of the medicine for people who have lupus, even though there's no evidence of that shortage at all. None of that is true, but that is the narrative they're pushing out. So Donald Trump, master of narrative, flips the narrative on its head. He says, if you oppose giving people this drug, then you want people to die. And he picked probably the perfect character to destroy the left wing's narrative here because we're talking about a democratic politician. This was a democratic representative who was on death's door and then takes the drug and now is all better. Not just a democratic representative, a woman, not just a democratic woman, a democratic black woman. I mean, it checks every intersectional box that the left talks about all the time with identity politics. So now Trump is saying, if you oppose giving people this medicine, you want a black female democratic politician to die and I won't let that happen, not on my watch. This is the right attitude. This is how we've got to start speaking. We like to play by all the proper rules. Marques of Queensbury rules, totally fair, above board, no punches below the belt. The left punches below the belt. The left demagogues, the left emotionally manipulates. Now we should be better than the left, but we've got to be able to counter their narratives as well. Trump showed us great way how to do that. He was pretty brutal in this press briefing all around. This is one of the hallmarks of it. You see these these motifs coming back in all the press briefings. He'll talk about the cure and the drug and giving people some hope. He'll talk about how serious it is so we can't just reopen tomorrow. He'll then humiliate one reporter. He he humiliates one reporter every single day. And yesterday that reporter was uh, a young man who asked about how this is all affecting the price of oil and what our energy response is going to be to this. So the, the kid barely gets his question out before President Trump corners him and asks him a simple question, a question unfortunately that he couldn't answer. What's the price of oil? Hey, I uh, just checking on oil again today, I was wondering if, Oil? Yeah. If where is it today? <laughs> well, I, I was wondering if you- would, No, no, where's
1: the price? Give me the price. Uh, I'm not sure to be honest. How can you uh, ask a question where? when you don't know the price?
0: I'll look it up for you. Okay, let me do somebody Uh, else. Oh, that's so brutal. That is so humiliating. I don't even know. I don't know who that reporter is. He might be a perfectly nice guy. He might have just been having a bad day and he, he made the unlucky mistake of not preparing for that one part of the question. Trump has got to keep this up. This was great because look, I I don't, again, I don't want to be unfair to this reporter. He might've just not looked up the number beforehand. He should have known if he says, I want, I was just checking on oil and I want to ask you about oil. And Trump said, okay, well, what's the price? It's pretty important information if you want me to give you my answer on oil. And he says, oh, I don't know. He's got to keep the reporters on their toes. First, it puts the reporters on the defensive and it discourages unfair questions. If the reporters know that he's going to grill them, then they're not going to be so loose with their questions. You know, it's actually the same justification that we have for having the reporters in the first place. We have reporters ask tough questions so that we keep the politicians on their toes. But the politicians need to be tough too, otherwise the reporters are going to take advantage. That's the first reason. Second reason is it shows to everybody out here that contrary to the media narrative, President Trump actually knows a lot more about what's going on than all these media people who are condescending to him and who are criticizing him and who are mocking him. What this shows, when it's just him and the reporters, unvarnished, live TV, it shows that Trump knows a lot more than our self-appointed elites in the mainstream media do. You you don't get that when you just watch pre-recorded, left-wing cable news. You don't get that when you just read the New York Times, but live unvarnished on TV, you do see that. And it's why it's important for Donald Trump to humiliate these reporters on occasion. He's got to do it fairly, and this was a fair way to do it. But the press comes out there every day and tries to unfairly humiliate Trump. And so Trump's got to give it back to them, and then the people can decide. Uh, there was some news that came out of the briefing yesterday beyond uh, Dr. Burks, who said that, we're going to be recording these, these deaths in a way that's going to compromise our data beyond these uh, other questions that came up. The most important news that President Trump broke is that the United States is planning on defunding the World Health Organization.
1: The uh, WHO, that's the World Health Organization, receives vast amounts of money from the United States. And uh, we pay for a majority of biggest portion of their money and they uh, actually criticized and disagreed with my travel ban at the time i did it and they were wrong they've been wrong about a lot of things and they had a lot of information early and they didn't want to they very they seemed to be very china-centric and uh, we have to look into that so we're going to look into it we pay for we give a majority of the money that they get they called it wrong they call it wrong they really—they missed the call. They could have called it months earlier. They would have known, and uh, they should have known, and they probably did know. So we'll be looking into that very carefully, and we're going to put a hold on money spent to the WHO. We're going to put a very powerful hold on it, and we're going to see.
0: Love that! Great idea. Should have done it a long time ago. The World Health Organization, the WHO, is a mouthpiece for the. Chinese communist government and has been for some time. Now. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is not a conspiracy. This is, you can, you can look exactly to the dates when they appointed their own lackey to run the WHO. Guy who runs the WHO is a politician and it's a communist politician that was specifically requested by the Chinese government. And as payback for that, this guy has been carrying water for them totally ignored the warning signs of the pandemic. Didn't even send experts over there until February, despite the outbreak happening in China, possibly as early as October. And who knows, we might find out it was even earlier than that. WHO, actually the most intense, passionate campaign they've waged during this whole pandemic was to get President Trump and other people to stop calling it the Chinese coronavirus because they wanted to hide China's culpability in all of this. An egregious organization that has not only failed, but has really uh, carried propaganda for some of the worst people on earth, and they shouldn't get a penny of our money. Speaking of China, China infiltrated a White House press briefing. A a reporter, this was not yesterday's briefing, but the day before. A reporter kept, kept pestering Trump with questions about China and all the good that China's doing and how China's helping out, and why won't he keep working with China? And so President Trump just... Flat out asked this person, said, What outlet are you with? Are you with an outlet that is with the Chinese government? And uh, Trump was absolutely pilloried for this in the mainstream media as a racist, as a xenophobe, as a bigot, all the usual stuff. Here's the exchange. I hope they're going to honor the deal. We'll find out.
2: China, are you cooperating with China? Uh, Who
1: are you working for? China?
2: you work for China or are
1: you with a newspaper? Who are you with?
2: Hong Kong Phoenix TV.
1: Who owns that? China?
2: It's is it owned by China? No, is
0: it owned by the state?
2: No, it's not. It's a private the company. Okay, good.
1: Okay.
0: Okay, good. And you can hear in Trump's voice, he doesn't quite believe it. So the press, they say, how racist. Just because this woman looks Chinese and, and sounds Chinese, you're asking if she's working for the Chinese government? Of course, that's not why he was asking. He was asking because it sure sounded like she was she was asking questions that were nice to China. Right? I don't think he was doing it because of how she looked or sounded. I think he was doing it, not, not primarily at least, I think he was doing it primarily because she was asking questions that any Chinese propagandist would ask. So then she says, no, I'm, I'm with an independent outlet, the Phoenix. So, and you Google that outlet and it turns out she lied. Actually, she is working for the Chinese government. Actually, the Chinese government owns a lot of that news operation. And it turns out Donald Trump was totally right and he was right to ask the question and he was right in his suspicion. And a Chinese propagandist infiltrated the White House press briefing, which, look, these things happen, all right, governments do use the press, subversive left-wing governments use the press. I mean, you know, (laughs) our own subversive left-wing politicians use the press here, even here in the United States. So this kind of thing happens before. Trump was right about this, this is something we've got to watch and the knee-jerk reaction To say that everything Trump does is wrong and bigoted and terrible, even for members of our own press, is a pretty egregious thing in the face of a pandemic that was caused by the Chinese government. And yet they're defending the Chinese propagandists in the briefing room. So President Trump talked about a few other things in these briefings. He, uh, He mentioned yesterday that he spoke to Joe Biden. And one thing I really liked about this is Joe Biden wanted to have a phone call with Trump. And I said on the show a few days ago, I liked how Trump handled it. He said, okay, I'll have a, I'll have a phone call. It wasn't, I can't talk to him. What can he offer me? It wasn't hostile. It wasn't, he, he was very gracious about it. He said, yeah, I'll take a phone call. Then they had the phone call. He was asked how the phone call was. He said, yeah, it was fine. It was nice. Had a nice call for about 15 minutes. That was it. Brushes it off and moves on. It keeps him so elevated and it keeps Joe looking so small because we were all wondering what what's Joe going to offer on this phone call? Joe can't remember his own name. What's he going to do? He's going to solve the pandemic that Trump is already doing a pretty good job of solving. And so I think Trump intuited that too. He said, okay, what do you got, Joe? Joe had nothing, so the call was absolutely nothing. Actually, we just found out what Joe's got. Because while Trump is solving this unprecedented global pandemic, uh, or certainly unprecedented in recent memory, I I guess the Spanish flu is pretty bad too, but you're not allowed to compare this to the flu anyway, so let's call it unprecedented. Well, while President Trump is doing that, Joe Biden is quarantined at home, forgetting his own name, And putting out a podcast because it's the only medium that he can work in, right? It's a medium where he can have his voice sped up. He can be edited. I've actually, I think they've slowed down the edit since I pointed out how ridiculous it sounded. So I'll take a little bit of credit for that. But they've, they've slowed it down just a little bit, but they can clean him up. They can take out all the weird stuff. And yet the best that Joe Biden can muster, this is the actual trailer put out by the Biden campaign, the best he can muster in this time of crisis. Is to talk about how much he loves Fig Newton cookies.
2: Are Fig Newtons your favorite
0: snack? <laughs> well, uh, they're among the favorite. You know why? They're
1: small, and I can sneak them. <laughs> I, you know, you can buy little packs of them, and I get them on the uh, on on the planes when I fly back and forth. And but the thing that is the thing that everybody makes fun of me that when in doubt, I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But I learned everybody was making fun of that, and I found out John Kerry has the same addiction, peanut butter and jelly
2: sandwiches, <laughs> but. <laughs> peanut butter and jelly sandwich is always good. But my daughter and I enjoyed it when you were in Michigan and you shared your fig Newtons with us. Oh, that's it. right,
1: I had some then, I remember that. Yeah, no, I, always, I always have little packs of them with me.
0: This is riveting stuff. I'm sorry. I'm just on the edge of my seat right now. I don't even know how I can go on with the show after that bombshell that Joe Biden likes not only Fig Newton cookies, but also peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I didn't clip that out. That's the trailer that the Biden campaign used. (laughs) That's their best stuff. Uh, I don't think that we want that guy to become the president. I don't think that we want to give that guy a lot of power. I don't think that we need to tolerate the largest political power grab in our lifetimes. If the man who's going to wield that power uh, barely knows what planet he's on and the most important and incisive commentary he can muster is his favorite cookie. Not a good place to be. Fortunately, President Trump is doing a good job. I hope he continues to do a good job and pushes that timeline of reopening up, not at the absolutely unacceptable 18 months. But even closer, not eight weeks, not even four weeks, we need to get this thing going again. Uh, we've seen a lot of promise on the medical front, on the modeling front, as those alarmist models have fallen apart. We need to get moving again. It's, it's time to do that. We can weather this storm. The president might even come out of this looking better. But uh, time is running out, and you don't want to be in a situation where we're stuck with, with President Fig Newton. Okay, that's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. Got a lot more. We'll do it all tomorrow. See you then. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity
1: filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.